Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Towards divine listening. Now, even if we look at our news feeds and the content that we receive from day to day, we know it's really hard to even distinguish between news and noise. Just so much content coming in. And, and, and the, the, the voices that we will listen to in our own guidance or our pathways or our decisions or our beliefs, what it is that we're, we're choosing in our own way of um, processing the world around us. It's nearly impossible to hear the gentle whisper of God when we are, like we talked about last week, already dealing with our own negative thought life or just a, a, a tricky thought life. If you missed last week, I encourage you to go back and listen to it because we dealt with one whole category, which is our own uh, thought life and the, the control of the thoughts of our mind. So that was last week. But today, when we're talking about selective hearing towards divine listening, the thing we want to talk about in a large part is the clutter of our world. Most of us have so much incoming content, whether that's just our social media or marketing messages getting thrown at us or whatever else it is coming at us that we struggle to hear clearly the voice of God. It's just hard. So what we're going to do is we're going to start this morning with the story, the story of Elijah. And um, we're going to read out of 1 Kings chapter 19, the story from Elijah. But first, I want to set up our story just a little bit. Elijah was an Old Testament prophet, a fantastic prophet in that God used Elijah in unique ways of even uh, having miracles performed through Elijah's obedience, his words and his hands. It's really amazing. But... Um, Throughout this story, we'll back up just a little bit. Uh, the quick version is we have the nation of Israel just being formed, coming in to the promised land. They're being ruled, ruled by judges who are keeping things fair, but God is to be their king. But the people want a king like all the other nations. That's what they ask God for. So they get this series of kings, and time and time again, the kings mess up. And so God has allowed them to be ruled by kings, but it is not going so well. And so Elijah, as a prophet, is being sent to call the people of Israel back to faithfulness or point out where they have fallen under the rule of these kings who are leading them astray. A large part of this astrayness is idol worship, worshiping the gods, lowercase g, of other nations. And so that's a big part of Elijah's um, call back. So he's this prophet, and he's called, but God sends him. Prophets often have bad news to share. They're not the most popular people at the party. And so God sends Elijah to say, you're going to have to tell everybody, that because, I'm paraphrasing, because there's going to be a famine and a drought because of the disobedience of the people of God and the evil of these kings. But he sends Elijah with this message that there's going to be a famine, but then sends Elijah to this brook where God graciously provides the food that Elijah needs by being fed by ravens miraculously day by day with whatever Elijah needs, and he has water from the brook. So Elijah is saved by God and given provision. Then he's led to this widow. The widow has a son and is almost out of food. And he says, can I have some bread? And she said, I, I mean, I have enough for one loaf, and then we're just going to sit here and die. And he said, just, just make the loaf 
God will provide. And sure enough, as long as Elijah is with the widow and her son, every day her um, jar has enough oil and flour for that day's provision. So Elijah is a guy who has experienced firsthand miraculous provision of God. He's heard the voice of the Lord. He's been faithful to it. That is his story. The son of the widow dies and Elijah cries out to God and is able to, God restores life to this boy and he returns. So Elijah has seen the goodness, miracles of God. Now this one story, it's so amazing. It's actually really beautiful. Read it. Uh, I think it's 1 Kings 18 um, where there's like a standoff with the different uh, prophets Elijah, for Yahweh, God, is on one part of Mount Carmel, and all of the prophets of Baal, who is this uh, a foreign god that is being worshipped, are on the other one. And they both lay out an offering, and they put wood down, and they put an offering of a bull, I think it is, on top of it. And they say, like, let's see in this in this um, time of drought, whose God will respond? And so the prophets of Baal do all this dancing and all these shenanigans and nothing happens, nothing works. And Elijah then douses his offering with water. I believe it's four times. So it's soaking wet, cries out to God. God sets the whole thing of flames, consumes the entire thing. And everybody on Mount Carmel bows down to worship God. This is what Elijah has lived and experienced. And he comes out of this place to this story in 1 Kings 19. When Ahab got home, the one who had just said, let's have this little competition, right? The king who had said this. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he'd killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. When he, then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and beside him. Beside his head, there was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and laid down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? This is the word of the Lord. So our story of Elijah is remarkable and beautiful to me. 
he has received and heard the word of God. He's been obedient. He's been faithful, even though he's not winning any popularity contests. He has seen the God's provision time and time again, and yet he's afraid. And he goes, and he takes off, and he hides. It's very human. But then he hears God's voice in the stillness. This man of miracles. Throughout the Gospels, we see that time again, when people are trying to figure out who is this Jesus person, they sometimes guess Elijah because we see not only an obedience and a word of the Lord, but we see miracles. Like Elijah was a man who, through the Holy Spirit of God, was performing miracles. His heart responded confidently and successfully to God time and time again, yet he experiences doubt and fear as one who clearly hears from the Lord quite regularly. And so he goes and hides, and God calls him back out, not with big fanfare, but with a whisper. But what we see in this story that is so beautiful and important for us is that Elijah had to be listening. Remembering when it comes to this small whisper, I have this great um, new book. I'm really enjoying it. it. It's a Bible. It's a study Bible. It's a, it's a cultural background study Bible. And it says this. It, this whisper moment is beyond, without precedent in ancient world. In any theophany, which is the fancy word for a human encounter with God, uh, the voice usually thunders, makes some kind of destructive presence uh, it's something huge and noteworthy. Never, never in a theophany do we have a gentle whisper. But this gentle whisper doesn't indicate the demeanor of the voice or the volume of the communication. Rather, it identifies that Yahweh speaks in the reverberation silence that follows tumultuous disaster. There's something beautiful in that, that there's speech in those little moments, but we need to be willing to listen. So, in order to have this conversation, I felt like it was a good morning to get a little bit practical. For the amount of times that I've talked with people or groups, or myself talking too, about these questions of what does it even mean, divine listening? How do I know if I'm hearing the voice of God? Number one, I think that we, we I mean, first of all, we want to be in God's will. We want to be listening to God, but sometimes it's for direction or just to be in his will, but, but how do we do it? So number one, I think one of the things that we need to talk about briefly even is what drowns out our listening? What is competing for our attention when it comes to divine listening? And then number two, a huge question that we all face, I believe, is how do we know if it's God's voice or our own? How do we know? Speaking of thought life last week, how is it that we even know? So number one, let's talk about the first one. What is competing for our attention? So I was looking up quick statistics on how often we all check our smartphones. I got a statistic from 2019. Is it now two years old? I felt like 2020 was unfair because basically we never didn't have our phone. That was an intentional double negative. It would have been an unfair statistic. So even going back two years, statistics say that we check our phone 96 times a day. That's at least once every 10 minutes. We check our phone. It was really convicting for me. I told you guys last week, sometimes I'm just going to show you some of the resources I'm using because you're welcome to come and check them out. And I also just want you to know some of the voices that we're hearing from. Nijay Gupta, he is my professor right now um, in seminary and just a really amazing, smart person. He wrote this great book on the Lord's Prayer. I highly recommend it. But within this, he talks about... Um, uh, quoting a, a in, poor, in part a thought by Walter Brueggemann, but he talks about this, it was really convicting. He says, our technology consciousness 
can empty faith of sacramental power and respect. It's an emptying of holiness. We live in a social media saturated world that can make us impatient with everything. We want everything instantly. He says we live in a fraction, we live in fractions of seconds of time. I get bugged if my Kindle doesn't download the book that I want in under 30 seconds. I'm already impatient. It's, we literally are living in a fraction. If Google can't pull up the answer about which stars are in a movie within that 30-second window, we're already impatient to know the answer. We do. We live in fraction of seconds of time versus allowing sustained attention to big ideas, deep conversations, and prolonged silence before God. Waiting is perhaps the hardest thing for modern people, but waiting for God is what we must do if we believe he is God and we are not. So there's a lot clamoring for our attention, but we live in a world that doesn't acknowledge that. So we think that this is all normal. We think this is just what it's like, and the constant input is completely normal. So how often do we listen in silence? Because it's not just, the, the competing attention isn't just the distraction, the, the games or the entertainment. It's also input, even if it's good input podcasts, uh, relevant articles, uh, things we're reading. It's taking in constantly. Even if it's good, how constant is your input? Or sometimes it's a desire to be relevant. How often do you have a moment of silence and you pick up to see if anybody has texted or emailed you for any purpose that they might need to engage in a conversation in? The desire to be relevant, a moment of silence, we go straight to our devices. We are the only ones who can create and protect and prioritize moments of silence and listening into our calendars, into our actual schedule. It, it, won't, it won't happen on its own. So that's the first thing. Really take an honest account of what competes for your attention. The second thing I think is a really wise question to ask that we all want to know. How do I know if it's God or if it's me? If that's what my desire is, that I would hear that, uh, how do I know when it's my own thought? Now, there are countless resources about this, and I wanted to really lean in on a resource. I'm going to quote something more than I ever would, because I think this is one of those areas where I feel there can be a danger. This is my disclaimer before quoting someone much, much smarter than me. There's a danger sometimes if I come up and I share too much out of my own experience, because then we measure against another human's experience. There is no ranking in how you hear from God, how frequently, what way, anything. There's none of that. And so I want to lean in on this fantastic and very readable book by Dallas Willard, Hearing God. He has a lot of great insights in here, but I think it's really important to get practical because there are good questions here and things that are really important. This is a classic on the practice about listening to God. Now, ironically, we can go out and search for so many resources about listening to God that we don't do the practice of listening to God. So that is one thing that I would say. We have to actually put to practice the act of practicing and not just, so I'm saying here's a great resource, watch out for too many resources. But this is, this is a good one if you are wanting to look at some ways to start. His book in part I think is really good because it focuses a lot on relationship. He talks about not ever wanting to fall for that Bible roulette of looking for answers. You know that feeling, I'm just gonna flip around and see if there's an answer in here. He also talks about uh, this really be a, being a cooperative creativity. And I love that, it's relational. 
my way of saying what it's important that it does not become in listening to God is like, did you guys have a magic eight ball when you were younger? Where you like shake it up and like, should I go to that event next week? Yes, maybe, whatever. If God is not in the magic eight ball mode, we need to cultivate a relationship, a cooperative creativity, as Dallas Willard would say. So uh, two ways that he points out that are really common for listening to God, for God to speak to us as people. Number one is in conjunction with the language of human beings. That simplifies things, doesn't it? God will speak to us in ways we can hear and understand. Doesn't need to make it uh, some otherworldly way. And number two, there is through the inner voice of our own thoughts. But Dallas Willard would say, number one, the conjunction with the language of human beings is really best suited for God's purposes precisely because it most fully engages the faculties of free, intelligent beings. That's all of us who are socially interacting with agape love in the work of God as collaborators and friends. What that means is this is in relationship with humans as humans. And God speaks in our circumstances, through one another, etc. So you are, what we're trying to do is get more used to a conversation, relational thing, uh, d- discernment, becoming normal. And when we do this more and more, Listening to God or the voice of God becomes less and less fantastical, less and less about a mountaintop moment, so to speak. It comes to a point where God can talk to us quietly, calmly, constantly, leaving us space, as Dallas Willard would say, to grow to be his often fumbling collaborators. I love that. Be human in it. God knows. There's a beauty in that, but how do we know if it's God's voice or our own? I think that there's a lot that becomes from experience, from cultivating a prayer and relational life with God. A couple of points that can help us in figuring out what exactly that means or what it looks like. Number one, let's talk about scripture. Scripture is such an important tool in understanding this this walk, this cultivation with God and hearing the voice of God. Number one, Test. God will never direct any of us to go against what has been taught in God's word, ever, ever. It will never go against the word of God as tell, told to us in scripture, most fully through the life and teaching of Jesus, who is, of course, God's self, but through the whole of scripture. However, here's the tricky part. Even Satan uses scripture wrongly. We know this in the temptation. Did you know that in that moment when Jesus goes to the wilderness and the enemy comes and tempts Jesus, Satan does so quoting scripture wrongly. I don't know what you think about that, but I think that can be a little bit daunting and scary to think about. Well, what does that mean? How many times in the history of our world have Supposed Christ followers grabbed something and used it wrongly to huge damage. This is a real threat. Be sober-minded and be alert. We can use it wrongly. There is no cherry-picking verses. We're talking about God's self and God's revelation through the entirety of Scripture, God's character and who God is. We need to look at the entirety, and that will guard us against some cherry-picked verse that supposedly gives us our 
running orders for the day, right? So look at the whole of scripture so we do not misuse scripture in knowing the direction of God. Only the Bible as a whole can be used as the word of God in that direction. But all that to say, though, scripture is a fantastic tool for testing what it is that you believe you're hearing as God's direction for you. And linked to that, or maybe coming out of that, is let's talk about discernment. Because sometimes you may not know. What if I cherry-picked a verse? What if I'm understanding that verse wrongly? Community discernment. Discernment with Christians who know the word of God. Discernment with circumstances and others. These are all really important tools to, to, to check ourselves. To be uh, aware and cautious of what it is that we believe we are hearing from God. Again, from Dallas Willard, God's impression within and his words without are always corroborated by providence around. That means circumstances and like voices of others, things like that. We should quietly wait until those three things focus into one point. If you do not know what you ought to do, stand still until you do, and that's okay. So we have to look at all of those things, discernment not only about what we're hearing from God, but our circumstances and community of faith who can help to guide us and know. Okay, so those are some practical tools. Let's talk about a couple other things. Let's talk about how we hear. And this is what I was referring to earlier. People hear from God in different ways. And that's okay. If you hear a story of somebody hearing from God and it does not match how you ever heard from God, there's no ranking system here. This all beautiful, creative, collaborator ways that the Lord speaks with God's people, right? So how do we hear? Maybe in a word that's highlighted from a sermon or a song as we worship. Maybe a word of prayer over you or while you're being prayed for. This back, remember back in the day when we had prayer response team, there would be times after church when we'd be praying over somebody and we would be praying words and they would be hearing something from the Lord or discerning something that, and we, they weren't even hearing our words. It didn't matter, but there's, a, there's something spiritual happening in the covering of prayer that can bring direction. Maybe something we see. God has taught me and convicted me through nature, and nature doesn't speak to me. God speaks to me through nature. He has taught me and convicted me through my kids, our kids, when they were little. And it didn't even need to be about the words, but they didn't know they were preaching to me, but man, did God use their little words to, to convict me, to grow me. God can speak through situations around us, but we need to be in tune. So what about when people say this voice of God? when they've heard the voice of God saying something. Uh, it doesn't always happen that way. It absolutely does not always happen that way. But yes, there can be a moment when someone, you, can sort of feel like you've, you've heard God's voice. You've, you've heard something, maybe not audible in the room, but sometimes that happens uh, and people say, how do I know then? I can just tell you this. Um, well, okay, first, Dallas Willard says this. Yes, it's true and right, this happens. There can be a sense inwardly of the power of God's voice. An inner voice, when that happens, does not argue. That's one sign. It is, as he says, self-authenticating. I can tell you from my own experience that when these kind of moments have happened to me, there's two marks that I can check it against. Number one, it's one of the most tender loving corrections that voice is so tender and number two i don't have a word of rebuttal it's a hundred percent right it hit something straight to the head and there is no talking back not because i'm fearful but because it was so convictingly accurate and right so those are some things to check if you are 
um, wondering, was that the voice of God? Other times, to be honest with you guys, I've been unsure. I would think, well, I, I'm not sure. So what do I do then? I hold it. I hold it loosely. I pray. I consider. I think, well, there have been times that I've said, I'm not sure if that's like my, my desire or God's heart, but I still can move forward and just hold that openly before you, God, and test it or just feel no rush to move forward in it. But now let's talk about this, which is also important. <laughs> what about when you're not hearing? Because really, let's be honest, that is often, often, often the situation that we have. We won't always hear from God. Sometimes when that's happening, there's a beautiful strengthening of obedience. Let me say this. When you are not hearing from God, know that you are equipped and ready through the Holy Spirit to stand firm anyway, to stand firm in faith, hope, and love, even without a word, as this book says, aware that in that stance we remain in God's will because that is where we are rooted and established in love. That last part was me, not the book. Sorry, I mixed up my quote. So if you are living rooted and established in love, grounded with your feet firm, as Ephesians 6 says, stand firm then. Even if you're not hearing from God, your stance is one of obedience, of listening, and, and you can rest assured. Uh, it won't always sound like hearing specific direction. It's important, this part was the quote, to cultivate the quiet inward space of a constant listening, more important than always to be approaching God for a specific direction. If that's our stance, maybe what we just need is to cultivate a listening, and then if we're not hearing anything, we know that our ears are in tune, and it might be that there's, there's not something. We don't need to feel like there's some debilitating sign if we're not specifically hearing from God. A couple of things that I've heard through the years, one which was really beautiful, a friend told me once when I was just saying, I haven't just, I'm not hearing from God. And she just looked at me and said, Melissa, what was the last thing God said to you? And I was like, oh, I don't know, it's been a little while. I went back into my journal and found something. She's like, he probably isn't done with that yet. You're moving on ahead. When that was the thing that God wanted to continue to talk about. So... That's not from any theologian. That's from a friend who was 100% right in my own experience. So that's one thing to ask you. What was the last thing that you heard or you sensed? We don't need to rush ahead of that. And then another thing, you guys, I have looked everywhere for where this quote was rooted. It was one of those things where a friend said it, quoting someone who they didn't know who heard it from somebody. And, I mean, I've looked all over the Internet. I can't find it. So this is somebody's but not mine. But I want you to just pick up this imagery for a moment. What if walking in the will of God looks a whole lot more like dancing in a wide open meadow of flowers than trying to tightrope walk on some narrow path? There are so many ways we can walk in the will of God. I think sometimes we can get debilitated thinking, which job should I take? Which which should, is it yes or no to this uh, occupation, this school opportunity, this relationship? Sometimes we can get so stuck in the which way is it that we forget that the will of God can be a frolic in a wide open meadow. If we're standing firm in our faith and knowing the will of God, we can be blessed in North Center or Uptown or in marketing or the medical field. Like, there, there's so many places Right? And so sometimes it's just not as strict as we might feel. So think about the next time you're feeling a little debilitated, think about dancing and frolicking in the wide meadow of God's will. 
So throughout this series, we've also talked about the fact that this is definitely about our spiritual formation. All of this is, not self-help, spiritual formation. But we want to always be focused beyond ourselves into the life of the community that we are still being shaped into, both virtually and in person, because as the people of God, there is a community shaping that is always, always happening. And so sometimes... We want to talk about listening, discerning, and seeking God beyond our own circumstances. Dallas Willard, this is the last one I promised from his book. It's a really good book to help in this conversation. Last one, though. He says this, My extreme preoccupation with knowing God's will for me may only indicate, contrary to what is often thought, that I am over-concerned with myself and not a Christ-like interest in the well-being of others or in the glory of God. So what does that mean? That means to remember that our listening to God is formative, not just for our own decision-making, not for our own magic eight ball on the yes or the no, but for our life together in community, our life together as friend groups, in gospel community, here together on Sundays. We need to hear from one another as we're formed. What is it to take this formation as a community? This week, I had the ability to attend a conference online, which definitely has its pros and cons, you guys. Sitting in front of the screen was really hard for that long. I was so thankful that I didn't have to commute. But I spent a two-day conference with Missio Alliance called The Formation That Justice Requires. Because justice is at the heart of God, therefore it's, it's, it's uh, intrinsically linked with our own spiritual formation. The thing that was really beautiful in this conference, the thing that just was highlighted to me, was this one pastor from New York. His name is Rich Velotis. And this is the thing I would say. It was really hard to sit on a conference online. This pastor was fire. Just sitting in his living room. He was pure fire. So... While he was talking, because I was online, I ordered his book. I'm going to read through this if anybody wants to join me. It's about the spiritual formation with the values of contemplative rhythms, racial justice, interior examination, sexual wholeness, and missional presence. I can't wait to read this book. If you want to join me, just let me know, and we'll talk about it as we're reading it. But anyway, the reason I got it, because this man just was pure fire in talking about spiritual formation. So I started taking some notes from what he was sharing, because the fact of this whole conference is this. We cannot compartmentalize formation. Through this whole series of formation, none of this is a checklist to be compartmentalized. Just as uh, the thing that Rich was talking about is, he, he talks about this moment where Jesus comes out, opens up the scroll, Luke 4, do you remember it? He opens up to the prophet Isaiah, and he says, the spirit is of the Lord is upon me to, to preach good news to the captives. Do you remember that moment? That moment was just fire, like mic drop moment for Jesus to declare that this is what he's here to do. But look at what happened right before this. He was affirmed in his identity, in his baptism, where God spoke, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So he knew his identity in God. That was number one. And number two, silence. 40 days of wilderness before the mic drop. Because he knew and he had been formed in that space of quiet and of listening. So let's think about it this minute. Again and again, Jesus teaches, speaks, acts, all of it in the power of the Holy Spirit coming out of a time with God. And as Rich Velotis says, silence in the life of Jesus 
this silence that he experiences in those places is converted into prophetic speech. God's own words and will happening. Not just to be silent with God. Don't get me wrong. I love that. That quiet moment, that stillness. I'm all for those retreat spaces. spaces. Do it. But we're talking about something different. Not just silent to be with God, but so that we can be with God. So we can be with God, excuse me, and for God, for the sake of the world. That's what we see in the life of Jesus. We see this pattern that moves beyond the passive silence of a personal retreat. Again, lovely, not what we're talking about here. There's also a passive silence that says, I just want to be silent before God and I don't want to ruffle any feathers. And that can, that can push a whole different group of injustices into our world. We're not talking about passive silence, but we're talking about being prepared in prophetic Silence, so that when we return, we are speaking from the very heart of God. Because that's where we've been dwelling, is with the very heart of God. Look at the patterns of Jesus through the Gospels time and time again. He goes out of the city to get refreshment in silence and in prayer. He goes into the wilderness, always to return to the city, to the crowds, to the masses, to the needs, to the, to the voices, to the arguments, to the tricks of the Pharisees who are trying to catch him up, to all of that. He comes refreshed in the Lord because he's been in times of prophetic silence, prayers, and listening. It's interesting when I consider that pattern time and time again in our urban context, right? Because it's not just about geography. Geography is lovely. Some of my favorites, in case you're like, I can't do it in the city. The Botanic Gardens, really quick, Metro Trip. If you can't, it's so beautiful and silent up there. If you need to get into the wilderness, <laughs> use our Chicago wilderness of the Botanic Gardens. I highly recommend it. Also, there are just tons of parks that give you so much space. The beach, the lakefront. You guys, people aren't there yet. It's pretty quiet. I mean, they are on the jogging path, but not the actual beaches. Just go and look out at the water. You can find your wilderness within a mile of where we are right now. Anyway, that was just a little side note because wilderness sounds like you need to go to Denver or something, or Colorado, not Denver. Don't go to Denver. Okay, um, but so if we're seeking the wilderness right here in Wrigleyville, it's not just geography, it's isolation, it's prayer. It's just moments with Jesus and the Father. Luke 5, 15 to 16. This is one moment, but it's, it's referring to this being a regular pattern. Despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power, because remember Jesus kept saying, don't tell anybody. So despite those instructions, the report of his power spread even faster, and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often, often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. I don't believe for one second that Jesus was doing this to receive his orders for the day exact instructions on what to do. I don't believe that. I believe that this was Jesus, the Son of God, cultivating relationship, communication, which is just prayer, including active listening to the heart of the Father. And as Rich Velotis would say, if we are not silent in the desert, the words we speak in the city aren't going to have any power. Because what are the words that we come back and want to speak? They're the words of God. They're the very heart of God. It's leaning in on the power of God is given to us through the Holy Spirit for God's purposes, for restoration, for healing, for wholeness in broken and hurting places. 
And if we want to be able to speak in those places, we have to be willing to come back with that prophetic, prophetic silence being transformed into prophetic speech of the heart of God. Jesus, we thank you that you are, you are here, you are holy, and you know patterns of city and wilderness that can transcend any geography that we're in. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the things that distract us, to guard our own disciplines and calendars and thoughts and locations to cultivate moments of silence and stillness so that we can go deeper and deeper towards your heart, listening and responding in faith that you, God, are so at work. There is so much kingdom inbreaking ready to happen around us. Help us to be participants in that which you have for this city who you love. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.